Um, I'm going to, uh, the Torah portion this week, uh, I'm going to share uh, a, little, a little bit about one little verse from that song of Moses that he taught the people to sing just before he died, as, as Susie was sharing. And I'm going to share one, about one Hebrew word that is pervasive across the Torah and across the whole Bible. It's a Hebrew word that means so much to God. In fact, when we think of the, the Torah, when we think of the, the Word of God, the books of Moses, we think of the holidays, we think of Shabbat. And what else do we think of, you know, when we think of uh, the, 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 the Torah, the, 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 the books of Moses? We think of um, maybe keeping kosher, the, the food laws, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. But there's one aspect of the Torah which is pervasive in the Torah, beyond the Torah, all through the Psalms, the prophets, into the New Testament, because it is such an imperative part of who God is and what he believes and what is so, he's so passionate about. It's, it's, there's probably more commandments about this in the Torah than anything else. And there's an aspect to this that I want to speak about. Today is Shabbat Shuvah on the Jewish calendar, which is the Sabbath between Rosh Hashanah, trumpets, and Yom Kippur. So it's the Sabbath of return, the Sabbath of repentance. Um, and the word, the Hebrew word that I want to talk about that's pervasive in the scripture is the word mishpat. And the word Mishpat means justice. Justice is something that is so ingrained in the heart of God. And I don't know if people fully understand what justice means and how justice was and is lacking in the world systems. Justice in the Bible essentially means if two have to go to court together and there is a judge overseeing the case, equality must rule that courtroom. Nobody, when there is a dispute between two or, or more, nobody should get favoritism for anything. And the Torah was groundbreaking and revolutionary when it came to justice. So remember, the Torah is not just a book of laws or a book of things that, that we look at. It wasn't a part of the Bible for them. This was literally the law of the land. It was the Constitution. It was how Israel should live, how they should be governed, who governs them. It's, it's their Constitution. It's not just books in the Bible. It's their Constitution. It's literally the law of the land. And there are many parts of Torah which says if there are disputes, 
how that needs to be resolved. There are laws about how court cases come forward, who, who facilitates that, who the judges are. If the judges can't figure it out, who do they go to? It is a just system, the Torah, and it goes through great lengths to ensure that what happens in the world, which is some people get favoritism and others don't, and you could pay off judges and all that type of stuff, or these rogue systems, if you think some of the nations of the world these days are these rogue nations, you should go back a few thousand years. I mean, these were just heinous, heinous nations that would do anything, that would kill people for nothing. That would say, you, you get the death penalty, you don't for no reason whatsoever, except that the ruler of that nation wanted it that way. And the Torah comes forth with something radical for that time. Radical. Justice, justice, justice. Do not show favoritism to anybody. Show justice to the needy. It specifically talks about the most needy of people. The widows, the orphans, the aliens. People that have no one to defend them. The Torah charges the judges Give them justice. Don't show any favoritism. The Torah was radical and revolutionary in making a court system that was based on justice, justice. It was absolutely revolutionary. So it's amazing how, like, so much of the church wants to do away with the laws of Moses. The laws of Moses was groundbreaking, revolutionary. This concept of treating people with absolute fairness and equality when it comes to disputes, the Torah owned that. And it is the foundation of any system unto this day that seeks to be just. Is that amazing? That is the system of the Torah. So a few verses of how important justice is. Exodus 23, 6. You shall not pervert the justice due your needy brother in his dispute. Deuteronomy 16, 19 and 20. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue, that you may live and possess the land which the Lord God, Lord your God is giving you. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed is he who distorts the justice. Do an alien, an orphan, and a widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Psalm 82.3, vindicate the weak and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Psalm 89.14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Psalm 99.4, the strength of the king loves justice. You have established equality. Proverbs 29.4, the king gives stability to the land by justice, but the man who takes bribes overthrows it. 
So justice, people coming forth with a dispute and it being treated absolutely equally in spite of who you are, in spite of where you come from, whether you're rich, you're poor, whether you have parents or whether you're an orphan, whether you're an alien of the land or whether you're a native born, treating them equally in a court case by the judges is so foundational to God. What's foundational to God is that the guilty is guilty and the innocent is innocent. What distorts justice is when the innocent are guilt, become guilty and the guilty go free. That's what happens in rogue nations all around. God established a system to, as best as possible, ensure that doesn't happen. So I'll give it a few verses of some of these radical revolutionary ideas in the Torah pertaining to justice. Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not rise up against the man on account of any iniquity or sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. This means this guy goes and robs a bank. Well, there were no banks there. Robs a tent. One guy goes, I saw him do it. Not enough. A matter must be established with two or three witnesses. Torah establishes that. In fact, when Yeshua said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them, very often we think of that in terms of fellowship. Like if two folks are together, Yeshua is with us. And we all use, how many of us use it that way? We're sitting in a prayer circle. Well, when two or three are gathered, Yeshua is among us. I do it too. And I will continue to do it. But the reality is, what he was saying is that in, the con- in, my, in my body, in my congregation, if there is a dispute, if two or three bear witness to it, I agree with it. Heaven agrees. That is what he's saying. We can use it all we want when it comes to if we're together, he's with us. And I will continue to do that. But what it means is that if there is a dispute and there are two or three witnesses, I'm with you. That's what Yeshua is saying. There is a Supreme Court. It says if any case is too difficult for you to decide, this is the judges, between one kind of homicide or another, between a lawsuit and another, between one kind of assault or another, um, in the cases and dispute in your courts, then you shall arise and go up to the place that the Lord your God chooses. You shall come to the Levitical priest or the judge who is in office these days. You shall inquire of them and they will declare to you the verdict. In other words, if the judges at the gates in the different cities can't figure it out, they can go to Jerusalem, go to the priest, bring the case to him, and he will bring the verdict. That is the first ever in history Supreme Court that has been established. The verdict must be listened to. The man who acts presumptuously 
by not listening to the priest who stands there to serve the Lord your God, nor to the judge, that man shall die. It means that when a case is brought forth and the verdict comes down, God says, that's the verdict. And if the person that was accused acts presumptuously, he's guilty. And all of these things, a king has to write his own Torah scroll. The whole thing. And it has to be reviewed by the priest. This is to ensure the king will not walk, it says, to the right or to the left, that he may not turn from the commandment, so he and his sons may continue long in the kingdom and the midst of Israel. So the king himself has to write a full Torah scroll. So the king operates in righteousness and in justice. And Yeshua brought this forth, the system of justice, as he walked around Israel. There's a famous story of Yeshua with the woman who was an adulteress. And this woman was brought forth to Yeshua. And the accusers said, this woman is an adulteress. Our law says she needs to be killed. What do you say, Yeshua? Well, they didn't realize that they were talking to the living law, who actually wrote the thing. And he realized there's a couple of problems here. Firstly, they said it must, she must be killed. She must be stoned. What say you? Well, he knows it says in the law, in the Torah. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. Not just one, both. So this woman was brought forth. Okay, where's the guy? I don't see no guy. Secondly, he said, those that are without sin, what? Cast the first stone. That's often thought of him saying, hey, just show grace to the sinners. Right? If you're a sinner, don't judge anybody. Right? He who... He, anyone among us who is without sin, cast the first stone. If you ever really want to know what Yeshua meant, try to find those words in the Torah. When there is a death penalty needed, like with adultery in the Torah, guess who casts the first stone? The witness to it. It says, Deuteronomy 17.7, the hand of the witness shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So when he said, go ahead, cast the first stone, he's saying whoever really saw this, go ahead. And remember, if you are lying, you are now a murderer. And what you just did to her now is do you. So when he said, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. He's saying, okay, I need the two or three witnesses, and the, first, the witness will cast a stone. Go ahead, do it. And if you do it, 
you are a murderer if you are lying. And how is that for an amazing bit of justice in the Torah? The witness commits the execution. How many of us or how many people would not lie in a court case if they're the ones that actually have to pull the execution switch? Can you imagine if you had to do that? That would be pretty hard. But that law ensures that the person bringing forth the accusation is saying the truth. Because if he's not, he's a murderer. Do you understand that? Okay. So, we see this, the, the, the situation in the Torah, in, in, the, in the New Testament, where Yeshua said, uh, who's without sin, cast the first stone. They all walk away, and he says, women, where are your accusers? And she said, they're all gone. Again, Torah, how many witnesses do you need to establish it? Two or three. How many left? All of them. How many were left? None. Therefore, I can't accuse you. You have no witness. There's no more witnesses. There's no accusation. There's no witnesses. So I can't, I can't accuse you according to the law. There's nobody here accusing you of anything. So go and sin no more, he said to her. The one who is accused, the accuser, left the building because they had nothing left to say. And what I ask you today is at the end of this whole thing, at the end of the journey, at the end of the story, at the end of the end of the whole thing, when the ones that hurt you stand before you, and Yeshua says, this person sinned by hurting you, by not doing justice to you. For those of you who experienced injustice, for those of you who have been accused of something and been called guilty when you haven't done anything, for those of you who have been harmed, but the one that harmed you was allowed to go free innocent, you see, when there's a lack of justice, what is left for the person who felt the injustice? Just a, a desire for, for, for vengeance. A, a desire for recompense. A desire, help me, Lord. I've had injustice. Help me, Lord. Set this right. And this, this type of mentality of seeing, of wanting vindication. We even see it in the scripture. We see King David, vindicate me, Lord. We see it in the book of Revelation. We see the martyrs. How long, O oh Lord, before you avenge my blood? But I ask you today, is there something better for the body of Messiah when we are wronged than wanting vindication? Is there something greater than wanting the wrong done to you to be avenged. So I ask you at the end, when the one who did wrong to you, the one who perpetrated the injustice to you, stands before you, and Yeshua says to that person who hurt you, where is your accuser? 
When Yeshua says that to the one who hurt you, where is your accuser? Will you be there to say, yup, that's the guy. Guilty. Or will you walk away and let Yeshua say, where is your accuser? And the one who hurt you say, there's nobody here. And Yeshua would say, well, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. Or will you bring forth the accusation and say, yep, that's the guy. He's the one, Yeshua, who did me wrong. Justice, justice, let it prevail. Which will it be? And I challenge you today that there is something greater than just wanting justice in that you've been hurt, this person needs to have his eye for an eye taken care of. There is something greater at work in the heavenlies. There's something greater at work in the, in the body, in Yeshua's body. There's something greater at work that, that sets people free that doesn't just condemn. We know the story of Joseph, where Joseph had a lot of injustice done to him. He was thrown into a a pit by his brothers. He was sold off to to slavery by his brothers. Even in Egypt, he had a little bit of a high ranking, but then Pharaoh's wife or, or Potiphar's wife lied about him, thrown in jail. That was not justice done to him, to Joseph. But at the end of the story, something amazing happened. When his brothers came before him, he realized All the stuff that happened to me was from God. He allowed all of it. He allowed all of the bad injustice that happened to me. It happened right under God's nose. And not only that, God allowed it for a purpose. So at the time that Joseph could have said, there you are, my brothers, guilty, guilty, guilty. It's time for my blood to be avenged. In fact, that's exactly what his brothers thought. When they saw him, they're like, oh my gosh, we are so in trouble. Once dad dies, he's going to kill us. And we would have deserved it. Why would they have deserved it? Because they were the perpetrators of these bad things that were done to Joseph. But Joseph had a revelation that what was done to him from them was actually from God. To bring about, as it says, deliverance for Israel. So Joseph, with, the, uh, with, his, with this revelation, said, don't even argue about it amongst yourselves. What happened to me was from God. So you are not guilty. How can I, how can I say that you're guilty? How can I go to God and say, it's time for you to bring forth your justice on the ones when I, the, the scales have been removed from my eyes that all of this came from God for a greater purpose? So I set you free, my brothers. You see, when there's no more accuser, then there's no case. 
When there's no more accuser, then there's no more case. This is why in the kingdom when Yeshua returns, it says that the accuser of the brethren is thrown down. There is no more accusation against us. Satan can no longer go to the throne room of God and ask permission to sift us like wheat. Because he's been thrown down. So I ask you, in the fullness of all things, when you're a, the one who committed, the, perpetrated the injustice against you, stands before you, and the great judge says, where are the witnesses? Where is the accuser? I need two witnesses, and I need the accuser to have this case. Where will you be? And I, I challenge you to think that at that time, the scales will be removed from your eyes, and you will not be able to say guilty because you will see how God used all of this hell that you went through for a greater purpose, and you, you will praise God for everything and exactly how it happened. And this is hard to receive and hard to understand, especially those who have been on the, the wrong side of justice. But I tell you that there is a greater purpose and a greater reality than just the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth and the life for the life. That type of, of, of justice is, is, is directly in the heart of God. If somebody, if somebody stole $100 from you, $100 has to be exacted. I mean, it's, the Torah is very, very strict about eye for an eye. Not physical eye, like you got an eye poked out, poke out somebody else's eye. As far as the amount, as far as how much recompense somebody gets, the Torah is very strict because that's so in the heart of God. But when the accusation goes away, there's no case. So I tell you when you are when the you when you are the accuser when you are the accuser of somebody who deserves to get the the accusation because they harmed you when you are the accuser and the case is dropped the case is dropped in the heavenlies What's bound on earth is bound in heaven what you loose on earth is loosed in heaven And I tell you that I see in the, in, the, in, the, in the end of all things, the ones that committed the most heinous of acts. And it's time for them to get their just rewards from the just God. When the ones that they've hurt, when their eyes are open, and they'll say, oh my God, my God, I see six million Jews looking at Israel and going, oh my God, the Holocaust happened and Israel came out of it. And that's just a little bit. But I see six million Jews going, hallelujah, I see it all now. How can I accuse anyone? How can I even accuse the Nazis? People have a hard time hearing that. Oh, no, no, no. I see 600,000 Jewish slaves going to God and looking at Pharaoh and saying, not guilty. He had to do what he had to do. So I charge you today, where will you be? Which side of the justice 
equation will you be on? Will you say, yep, he did it? Or will your eyes be open to say, not guilty, not guilty. I was blind, but now I see what you've been doing. I tell you that there is a, a, a stain, a wound on the hearts of us, of all of God's kids, from being hurt, from a perpetrator, from having, being on the wrong side of the justice equation. And the one who committed the injustice has moved on or died. But that person lives on in your hearts with anger and with resentment and with a feeling of how long, O oh Lord, before you vindicate me. Today, on the Sabbath of return, I feel that the Lord is asking you to return those people back to him. The ones that hurt you, the ones that hurt you the most, that you've been keeping. There's an intruder alert in the home. Intruder alert. Intruder alert. There is an intruder in your home. And that is the one that you've kept caged in your heart because of a wrong that was done to you. And yes, he deserves or she deserves what he gets or she gets. But today, I feel that the Lord is telling you to return that person to God. Because the damage that he or she, the boss, the family member, the parent, the cop, the government official, the judge, whoever it is, the damage that that person is doing to the land is far worse than the original act because he's locked in jail inside of you. So today, I encourage you to set him free. On this Shabbat Shuvah, Return him or her, the one who hurts you, to God. God will take care of it. And I charge you and I challenge you at the end of this whole thing, when you're standing before this guy with Yeshua the righteous judge, I challenge you that when the scales are removed, you may look at that situation that has bound you for so long very, very differently. And you may actually walk away. And then Yeshua will go to that person, just like that adulteress who deserved death, and said, where are your accusers? And this person would go, I don't know. Where'd they go? I did all this stuff, so where are the accusers? I don't know where they went. And the reality of it is they went away because they saw the full plan of God. Who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end? The one who said that when we suffer, we, we partake in his suffering. So we also partake in his glory. 
the one who said, when you're suffering, it's not just you suffering, it's me suffering. Because when Yeshua's body was whipped, it was for the salvation of the world, not for the condemnation of the world. So when Yeshua's body gets whipped, it's not for the condemnation of the world, but for the salvation of the world. And when we see that, how will we be able to cast the verdict of guilty when we see the fruit of what God has allowed And then the one who you've been keeping inside of you, waiting for vengeance, waiting for your day of vindication, will be before Yeshua. And he knows he's due, or she, and looks around, and there's nobody there to accuse, because we're just off celebrating. And Yeshua says, where are your accusers? They say, I don't know, Lord. They said, then I don't accuse you either. The witnesses are gone. Go and sin no more. And then that person is set free. And then that person will be able to do it to the one who hurt him. So on this Shabbat Shuva, I charge you to return, the Sabbath of return, to return the one that you've locked in your heart with anger. Release him and return him to God and let it go. In Yeshua's name, amen.